0: escape from plan a
1: there are many amongst us who advance the assessment that the problems that bedevil devil our country today which need to be addressed with urgency are corruption both in the high and low echelons of government criminality in the streets and the rampant sale of illegal drugs in all strata of Philippine society.
2: Hello and welcome to the Escape from Plan A podcast. This is Eliza Romero and I will be your host. Joining me tonight are my two guests and Plan A friends, Joey Marania of the LaCasse FMA podcast and Aldivar who was on the TFML podcast with Teen Shang about a year ago when they potted about Terrace House. Tonight, what we would like to do is we're gonna talk about the show Amo. Amo is the first ever Filipino series to be picked up by Netflix, and probably will likely be the first time that a lot of people around the world are exposed to a Filipino television show. This It was a really controversial TV series in the Philippines. And despite that, Netflix still picked it up, so I think it says a lot that that we need to do a podcast about this. So the series explores the war on drugs in the Philippines, and it's directed by Brillante Mendoza. He actually won Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival a couple years ago for the movie Kinatai, which loosely translates to Butchered. The series passes through several different characters and perspectives. Uh, We start out with um, Joseph, who is a high school student and pretty much um, a low-level drug pusher. Um, And then we move on to Bino, who is a little bit higher up in the hierarchy, and coincidentally also Joseph's kind of brother-in-law. We'll get to that later. Then we focus on Officer Rodrigo and Officer Camilo, who turn out to be corrupt policemen. And finally, we come back to a character that was in some of the earlier episodes um, in a small part, whose name is Christina, and she is a sex worker who gets mixed up in the drug trade, too. This show has been compared to the show Narcos, but I'm pretty sure that unlike Narcos, Western audiences will find it just completely foreign to them. So what we're gonna do today? Uh, the idea for this podcast, this podcast came about because after I watched the show, um, I put out a tweet that said, "Hey, any PhilAm's that finished watching Amo, who wants to talk about it?" And in the DMs, I had a lot of conversations about it in real life. I talked to a lot of other PhilAm's about the show and found out that there's a lot of things that even someone who is Filipino-American would have missed. Um, it's it's really a show that was made for Filipino people by Filipino people. I think that we need to start off with some background information about the war on drugs in the Philippines, especially since that's the backdrop for the whole series. Uh, when I watched the show, I watched it with my dad, and there was just a lot of things that I just didn't get. Let's start with the big controversies surrounding the series. I've heard it being called a propaganda tool for President Rodrigo Duterte. I've heard it, I've heard people accuse Brillante Mendoza of glorifying vigilanteism. I think that part of that has to do with the fact that Mendoza has a history of being a pretty vocal supporter of Duterte. I mean, if you don't know who he is... Duterte is the president of the Philippines, and he is very controversial and polarizing. He gets gets a lot of foreign press because of his policies and some of the things that he says. He is a very colorful orator. So this is a guy who, on one hand, he brings a lot of national pride to a country that needs it desperately. This is also a guy who has compared himself to people like Idi Amin. There were a lot of groups in the Philippines who were pushing to get this show taken off the air. So the drug problem in the Philippines is mainly meth. Why? You can make meth anywhere in the world. It's not like cocaine where you can only get it from South America. You can you can make it in the in the squatters of the Philippines. You can make it in Canada. You can make it in some hotel room in Missouri. You can make it anywhere you want. Since I don't live in the Philippines, I have... A really hard time forming an opinion on President Duterte. I often feel like it's not really my place to anyway. I will say that I think that he is a very he is very misunderstood to Americans and Westerners. I think it's important to differentiate why the Philippines war on drugs is different from the American war on drugs. One thing that makes it different is that Duterte doesn't make a distinction between the addict and the drug dealer. Uh, To us Westerners, we tend to be very sympathetic towards drug addicts. We see them as victims. We're much more aggressive towards drug dealers and drug bosses. But uh, Duterte doesn't make a distinction between the two groups of people. And there's a very famous quote of him saying, These three million addicts that are in my country, I would kill them all if I could. I can imagine that there's a lot of people who are probably wondering, like, how did Duterte even get elected to the presidency? So before he was president, he was the mayor of a town in the southern Philippines where crime is very high. Um, If you don't know much about the Philippines, the southern Philippines is where there is the most insurgency, and there is the most rebellion. So he was the mayor of a town in the southern Philippines, and because of his policy, while he was mayor, crime was very low, and so he campaigned on that, and a lot of his supporters believed that he could carry that out at the national level. I had a, a couple of different thoughts.
3: One is, I don't particularly feel that uh, this is a um, propaganda for Duterte. I, I do either. think that it's important to understand some of the maybe some of the historical context and some of the um, at least what it helped me is a little bit some of the Filipino cultural psychology context. So one of the things is like historically in the Philippines, the people have always gravitated towards um, strong leaders. And so you have this image of Lapu Lapu, you know, who is like the, you know, who killed Magellan on the shores of Mactan, And, you know, he there's mm, yeah. there's not a lot of. Uh, political nuance about it. The reason why he's a national hero is because he was a someone defended the people and killed a foreign invader. I mean, pretty much that's, that's the reason why he's a hero. It's not because he was a kind or generous or thoughtful leader to his tribe. It really because he demonstrated this like strength and uh, nationalism in a weird way, because there was no nation at the time. Um, And then even throughout history, obviously, you have someone like Jose Rizal, who was like this poet, but who also was like a fencer and who practiced martial arts and was part of the Katapunan. But you have all these other ones that the people revere as leaders and as heroes, but aren't necessarily political heroes. So you have like Aguinaldo or all these other people that were strong military or like uh, Gabriela, you know, uh, the general Gabriela, who were strong military leaders or even um, Cory Aquino, who really rallied the people together out of strength, and I think the Filipino people are very emotional people and they gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more about why I think um, the context and all the surroundings to why people power became so popular had a lot more to do with the emotional context of Nino Aquino being assassinated, his wife, Corey Aquino, coming, you know, filling in his shoes and having the strength as a woman. And that's a, a lot more, in my opinion, that was much more moving to the people than whatever kind of education she may have had or her stance on certain policies. I also think that, um, you know, kind of historically in Filipino cultural psychology, you had these main components of kapwa, which is like identity, self and identity. You had something of um, pia, which is like the shame, which is kind of uh, what I had talked about before. You had uh, utang nala'ub, which is like a social or moral debt. And then you also had this uh, pakiki sama, so... And I apologize if I'm butchering, butchering these things because I really don't speak uh, Tagalog or any other dialect. But I think you can see all these things in Filipino culture, in Filipino history, and you certainly see it in Amol, or I, rather I should say Amol. But this, these are things that I think influence uh, like the context and the environment and what, how everything is set as a backdrop against that's not so overt and explicit. And maybe other cultures, including um, American culture, doesn't always have or understand implicitly.
0: One thing that I came across in my research is that Brillante Mendoza's own family members got caught up in the drug trade and that's when he began pack when he get he began backing up the President's war on drugs.
3: Well I think it's like very prominent. I mean my own my cousin in the Philippines uh, has been involved I never really thought of it as the drug trade but I mean you know I have family members myself that have been involved with these kinds of things. I have relatives myself that were in the military or in the police uh, who killed people who had wronged them. And, you know, like, there's things that may not be very common to a uh, Filipino-American here, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere in the U.S. that maybe even if they don't do it directly in the Philippines, a lot of people have a much closer contact to.
4: I, I think you were talking about that concept of, uh, yeah, uh, the, like, shame. There's also there's also that aspect. So it's, it's in a sense, it's even hard to really discuss it even in our own families, right?
3: But I think it is important, and you saw it, and I'm going to jump a little bit into some of the parts of the show itself. I mean, I think that's why you have this strong, very visceral, very emotional reaction when Joseph was first getting, you know, even in the first few episodes, where his uncle was like, you know, you motherfucker, if only you knew, if only your father knew. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, even to like... Um, his uncle's own boss, where he's like, "I'm so sorry, boss. This is my nephew, and mm-hmm. he's doing this stuff." And then when his, when Joseph's mom found out, she was like crying, and they're like crying in the church because some of it is a very like we're so ashamed of it, we're so deeply ashamed of it. But at the same time, there's this sense of family and community. So how do we take take care of each other? I'm so angry because because you embarrassed me, embarrassed our family. And, you know, how do we kind of navigate the situation? And I just suspect that a lot of other families, especially American families, would probably handle that in a very different way.
0: Yeah, that is something that all three of us noticed when we were talking about the show is that the themes of loyalty and family are so strong in the yeah. series. And Aldivar, you mentioned uh, that before when we talked about this, that it really differs from the usual themes of like power and money in shows and movies about the drug trade, like Everyone in Amo seems involved out of necessity to help their families and friends. Nobody seems to be, there doesn't seem to be any, um, any like power mongering. No one seems to care that much about gaining more power. They seem to just want to get, they want to get more for their families or they want to stay loyal to their gang or to their friends or to their family. Like, Joseph, Joseph, I, I, I watched the show. I watched the show, and, like, for the first, like, two episodes, I couldn't figure out what Joseph's motivation was. And then you see him at home, and his dad is disabled. Um, he always brings his friends whenever he gets an opportunity to meet, to earn some money. Like, he always brought to soy with him. Bino, it seems like he just needs to pay for his mistakes, like his getting Jillian pregnant, and then for his infidelity with Christina. Who ended up stealing that huge pack of drugs from him and then never paying for them, Aldovar, You mentioned that a lot of the moves that he made after that episode seemed to just be like him trying to get that money back somehow. The police officers uh, who turned out to be corrupt, Officer, du- uh, Officer um, Rodrigo and Officer Camilo, like they seem like they just need to survive. Like I, I imagine that it's really difficult to be a straight cop in the Philippines, where they end up losing their way was when they got greedy. And for Christina, Christina, it's revealed that she has a sick daughter that her mom needs to take care of, or that she and her mom need to take care of. And she just spends all of her money on hospital bills and medication for her daughter.
3: Well, I feel like that's a super common um, Filipino experience where people will go through things, whether it's working in Saudi Arabia, or doing all kinds of things, because it's really for the family. And in contrast to like an American drama like Breaking Bad, uh-huh. this is going to be a spoiler for people who haven't seen Breaking Bad. But the end of Breaking Bad, when he's talking to – when um, Walter White is talking to his wife and he's like, do you know why I did this? And she's like, yeah, you, it's for the family. He's And he corrects her and he's like, no, I did it for myself. And the whole series, he's saying – he's always saying that he's doing it for his son, for his family. But uh-huh. in reality, he comes to this term that he's doing it for himself. In contrast – as a, like a reflection of Filipino American culture, it really, really is for the family, yeah. whether it's the father or the daughter or someone else. Yes, it may be for themselves, and maybe for the money or maybe for the power, the prestige. But ultimately, a main theme, like what you said, Liza, is that it really is for the family. Yeah. Up until the very end,
0: there is there is an interdependence in Filipino culture that I don't think I don't think that American or Western audiences understand it like i think that an asian american audience could definitely understand that kind of interdependence i mean look at the whole culture of like overseas foreign workers with the philippines
4: right and you know there's always uh there's always like you know uh remittance businesses so that way like uh families abroad can send money back home um you know i'm pretty pretty sure all of us said had to fill a balakbayan box to send back to the Philippines at one point. I right? was just
0: about to bring that up. You know, every Christmas, yeah. we have to yeah. send, we send like a huge box of like clothing and like, and of course there's like an envelope, you know, a separate envelope with like, you know, like a, or not an envelope because you, I wouldn't do that. But like um, nowadays you send like, um, you wire, you do a wire transfer.
4: Yeah, wire transfers and stuff like that. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, I think also to kind of compare with the, uh, the whole um power aspect and you don't see it in philippines or in the in in amos uh like you you know you notice that like you know joseph doesn't try to take over his uh his his gang you don't see like the officers yeah, try he to never
0: does he doesn't right after they after his gang shuns him after at um... At Tisoy and Bino's wake, he never tries to get back at them or like join a rival gang to get revenge. He never does that. He he stays. He doesn't even. He never brings them up. He never sells them out. You know.
3: Yeah, and but in contrast, when that uh, one guy does, they really, really all punished him severely for that.
0: Are you talking about Camilo?
3: No, the um, Jay, right? The guy. No, no, no. um, You're
0: right. The traitor episode uh, episode two or three. Yeah. Right. When Jay, well, he executed some of their own gang members. So I think that he crossed the line. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that the difference with, with Joseph just being shunned by the group is that they really blamed him for Bino and Tosoy dying. Because um, it was, you know, Joseph, they were all protecting Joseph from getting yeah. Because the police were after him.
4: And also, I mean, like, I, I think it was the uh, the mother was doing the eulogy for for uh, his friend, right? And so, like, uh-huh. y- y- you can tell, like, that, that would just be a, a situation that would just definitely blow up. And of course, you know, Joseph is nice enough to actually want to show up to, you know, to his friend's wake to, you know, uh, to pay respects, even though obviously he's a wanted man, you know? Which did make me
3: think of the scene where they bought the chicks... Oh, and yeah. the little feet, and they put it on top of the coffins.
0: What was that? Do you know what the... What's that symbolism? I don't know that tradition of putting the baby chicks on top of the coffin at, at yeah. the funeral or the
3: wake. So there is this... Um, my sister-in-law, who's from the Philippines and who married my brother, who lived in the Philippines for many years, he put me. she put me onto this uh, website. I can share it with you guys so you can see it. But it had to do with um, superstitions and practices that Filipinos do... I think at funerals or wakes or having to do with death. And this, uh, was something called like, uh, and so it was basically saying that if the cause of death is murder, um, chicks are placed on the coffin because what it does is it symbolizes and represents, um, the chicks pecking away and eating the murderer's conscience. To encourage oh. them to bring the uh-huh. murderer to justice, which I thought was like super fascinating.
0: I see. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it depends on how the person died that they do that. Yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. I mentioned earlier the name of the show "Amo" and Aldavar, You're the one that told me what it meant.
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, like at first, I kind of, I kind of did like a literal translation, just you know, kind of going, um, going off Google, and you know, it, it, at first I just said "boss," and it's kind of cool because it kind of by that time i already finished the series and uh it kind of gave me it, it gave me like a look back on the uh the passings of each episode and you kind of see that uh a lot of you know that uh they use they call each other boss a lot and there's always a reporting to some sort of higher authority whether it's a gang boss uh, the police chief or even you know just uh, some sort of hierarchy, right? And uh, I think I was tell- I was trying to uh, sell some of my friends on on you know watching it. And uh, one of my other friends, he uh, he grew up in the Philippines, and uh, he actually pointed out the, the the subtle nuance of it, also meaning kind of master and how that's how uh you know uh Philippines uh slaves referred to their masters using amo, which again also kind of made me take another look at the at the at the series and you you kind of see that there's uh like almost a hierarchy in uh just kind of being slaves right to uh to the drug war where you're you know you're constantly you know looking looking out for yourself you're always trying to uh you know score on on an opportunity whether it's drugs or or money uh yeah just really one of those kind of things that i didn't pick up at first when i first got into the series and then looking into the more intricate parts or just looking into the actual culture and, you know, looking up, looking up the word, right? Yeah, I
3: think it's much more than a, exactly what you said, Oliver. It's not this two-dimensional, uh, succinct word that's an easy translation into English. Um, it really is like simultaneous, like an affection, um, like, hey, what's up, boss? Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: simultaneously like a like a boss or a lord or a, a master.
0: Yeah, so the way they use boss in the Philippines, like I feel like the way they use it so casually, it's like, "What's up, boss?" Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes they even use it as like as a like the way we would say like dude, you know? "What's up, dude?" you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like they they use it I don't know it, if
3: there's like a exact translation into English.
0: Right. I don't think that there is either. I think it's just one of those words that just it's so it's so common in their in their language. What about like Good guys versus bad guys. I I don't think it's very clear cut in the show. When we're first introduced to Uncle Camilo and he fixes Joseph's drug test for him in the second episode, I think the two American eyes were trained to see this sort of plot device as like an indication of a shady character. But in the Philippines, it's not seen as corrupt to fix things like that for family members. Like it's seen as totally normal. Like, I know that people, my cousins in the Philippines, for example, when they, when they talk about living there, they're just like, yeah, there's always like the official way to do things, but then there's always like another way to do things, which is kind of a shortcut. And they actually, they kind of like prefer to do the shortcut because more people end up getting a piece of the pie rather than all the money just going straight to, you know, to like the government or something.
3: Well, and I do think that's maybe indicative of kind of like this family or group collective mentality Mm -hmm. where people really look out for each other and it's certainly rooted in this um, like culture where it's big with um, uh, power and opportunity, poverty. And Mm -hmm. so it's not I don't think it's so much about like right and wrong, good and bad all the time at this at kind of like, you know, pun intended, I guess, but like at the street level. It's much more about, like, what can I do from my position, either a power or privilege or even, like, a little bit of power privilege to help you and help us, especially because we may be family.
0: Right. So if everybody's – if everyone's show – I mean, if everyone's motivations are based on loyalty and love for their friends and family, are they really morally wrong for getting involved? Like, can we really call Christina a bad person – that she just wants to make money to so that she can pay for her daughter's hospital bills. Um, but can we really call Joseph a bad kid for wanting to take care of his disabled dad and his mom?
3: Well, I think that's a great question because you know there is this phenomenon of like uh, you know I I know we we're planning to get into it later, but like this phenomenon of like the sex trade in Asia, which also comes in the Philippines. And I've had some really good conversations with my brother and my sister-in-law about that because as Americans, we feel very strongly about the exploitation of Filipino women and the extreme circumstances and, you know, sort of like extreme measures that people have to take. But her perspective at times was very much like, well, if they can do something to help secure uh, something for their family or for their children or for their future, Mm -hmm. and it just so happens to benefit this, you know, horny Australian that's in a club or whatever – that is it actually so bad. And I know for myself, I had like a very strong viscerally emotional response to that because I don't like, I just don't like it.
0: Yeah.
3: And yeah, there is no another side it. that's like, well, in the bigger picture for families uh, and for the s- social situations,
0: right?
4: it's not so black and white. It's not so clear cut.
0: Right. Because the people who are poor in the Philippines are like so.
4: Yeah. I mean, looking into like kind of the, good and evil aspect i mean it's it's almost as if like the good and evil really isn't towards the individuals themselves it feels like there's more uh some sort of a monolith which is like kind of like the the police which is like the closest thing you can kind of come to a bad guy i mean they're very they're very powerful and obviously any most encounters that involve the police go south you know whether whether you're uh in a street gang or you know, doing, uh, being a dealer or even just being a corrupt cop. It, he, the, the, bad guy in this sense is kind of like the police is just kind of like a, not really an actual distinct person, just, but more of like a kind of entity and a presence that, that the characters kind of have to, uh, deal with.
0: Let's talk about Bino's character and how he had two wives. His situation is not that uncommon in the Philippines due to divorce being illegal, it's not as common as it used to be, but it's still a large part of the culture and the history of the country, which is very Catholic. So is what I don't like, is Jillian, like I know one is definitely the wife because when we see her in a later episode, first of all, you're shocked because you're like, who the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> he has yeah. another family and you see like the giant wedding photo on the wall. She has a much nicer house than the other girl. She has um, an older daughter. And then, Jillian Joseph's sister calls him her husband but something I've noticed in the Philippines is that people will people will call each other like their husband or their wife and they're not really they're not legally married so does Bino not have two wives does he actually have like a wife and then a mistress or was he estranged from his first wife because she you know when he comes home to his family his first wife's home she says i wasn't expecting you so are they like separated and he just financially supports them so what's going on what's going on there i think that that's going to be a really confusing plot point for a lot of people
3: i don't think julian is his wife at all okay i actually really enjoyed it when the real wife uh said that she has an ugly face i thought that was very amusing but also very reflective of how a lot of filipinas are but i will tell you this and this is like some self-disclosure I don't know if my family's going to be upset, but like, you know, my uncle had a second family and started a whole new family. My cousin, who was dealing drugs and selling drugs and using drugs, Uh he has two separate families that he started, one in Pampanga and one in another place. Do they
0: know about each other?
3: Not initially and not for a long time. Like the cousins didn't know. Right. Um, And there's, I think it is one of the, I don't know, like the Filipinos are so passionate but I think one of the like hamartias basically of like Filipino men is they're so passionate, but they're ruled by so much of their emotion and their passions. Even for myself, you know, I cheated on my wife. And there's like this big um, stigma for Filipino men that Filipino men will cheat on their wives and even start other families. And I think that's something that may be, I don't want to say unique to Filipinos or the Philippines, but is extremely rampant and very common. And I think if you don't kind of understand that, uh, it may seem kind of confusing. Like, oh, why? He has, like, two families. That's so weird. That's so interesting. But I think if you... For some people, at least, at least for me, when you see that on screen, you're like, oh, yeah, this is... This is the realness. This is, like, a true depiction <laughs> of at least of some Filipinos.
0: Yeah. Aldebar, you had a theory, too, that sounds a lot like Joe's. Um,
4: I think... Uh, uh yeah. Uh, I think the... Uh... Well, my take was, uh, um, uh, Bino accidentally got her pregnant and then, you know, out of obligation, he had to, you know, this is like a shotgun wedding kind of circumstance. And whenever I think about, uh, Jillian and Bino together, uh, I just remember there's that one shot where you have, uh, Jillian holding the baby and then you have, Bino like standing next to them and like Jillian's happy and then you see Pino, and he's just stone-faced.
0: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. It's interesting you bring that up because it's in very sharp contrast because the camera zooms in on that picture of Jillian and Pino and the baby. They're dressed up in just street clothes. He has a baseball cap on. It is obviously not a wedding photo. He's not smiling. And then when you, in the next episode, when we meet his official wife, um, you, see the big, you see a much nicer house. And then you see a big wedding photo where he's wearing a suit and she's wearing a wedding gown. His arms are around her. There's no baby in the picture and they look happy.
4: You know, speaking personally, I mean, obviously, you know, you do have those uh, stories where someone kind of gets knocked up. And obviously there's yeah. there's definitely like, uh, I guess like living, you know, living you know, as, a, as a Filipino, with a fil- Filipino family, you know, you definitely have that um you know catholicism almost it's 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 a big part of the culture you know um like i like you know for me personally you know um uh, i guess i should share some family details you know um uh you know my my brother recently uh, had a nephew and um it's it's like just being able to say um to go through the the religious milestones uh we you know the recently we went to we did the um, baptism and it was like another occasion to get the 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 community together again you know we had found both sides of the families found me friends and uh you know it's it's almost like a big part of the culture and sometimes like uh you know part of me does feel like like i, I i'm kind of like i don't think i could ever be like atheist you know or even maybe agnostic. I, can't, I can't do it either yeah i mean you know uh as as distant as I, I can try to push myself away from Catholicism, or you know, I, I, there's always that connection, right?
0: Because it seeps into it's not just the religion; it's like it's so much part of our culture too.
4: Right, our calendar right.
0: just revolves around um, the Catholic calendar.
3: Yeah, and, and so well, I, it, in a similar way, as a little bit of an aside, but like you know, there's especially here in Maryland, and especially here in Baltimore, mm-hmm. there's a large Jewish community. Yeah, and there's like cultural jews yeah, who yeah. may not be super um i don't know the word for it but like they may not be like extremely active in their yeah in their jewish faith yeah but it, it, it's hard for me to imagine that i just maybe i just have never but had they still conversations. identify as jewish yeah like yeah. i can't i don't know of any me personally i don't know any jews that are like i'm atheist but i still go to all these jewish events
0: yeah, yeah. maybe they
3: are basically atheists but they're still that jewish identity yeah is equally their culture as it is their faith.
0: I feel the same way about Filipino culture, too, when, when it comes to Catholicism. Back to Bino. So, would someone in the Philippines, would they be watching this show? And when we meet the other wife, when we see that he has two, when it's revealed that he has two families, would a Filipino per, person watching this be completely in shock, like a Western? Like I, so, or would they just be like, oh, yeah, he's got, he's got... Yeah. He's got one of those situations.
3: Yeah, from my perspective as a Filipino-American, in our family, and uh-huh. I know many families like this, it's not. it would not be a surprise. It's okay. like, oh, that's, that's this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, I'm just like, oh, that's just like my cousin. He started, yeah. you know, he grew up in Tondo. His family's in Tondo. He started, he like left. And then, well, I think he, I mean, I don't want to speak too much about him because he might retaliate. But like, my understanding <laughs> is like you know he he got in some issues with drugs, with uh-huh. addiction, with a lot of stuff. So he fled to Pampanga, and then basically started another family there. Wow! And then somewhere at that point, he started another family either in Pampanga or in some other place. You oh, know, so okay, um, so
0: that's just what they do.
3: I and I certainly am not trying to say that all Filipinos are like this, uh-huh. but I don't think it's this weird anomaly unless it is, and it just I just have that very personal contact with it. But I don't think it's this extremely rare, like incomprehensible anomaly.
0: Let's move yeah. on to one of the characters that I was just so fascinated by is Christina. She was one of the only female characters in the show that was out there that was truly independent of a man. And just like she was hustling just for herself. And she, you know, she wasn't dependent on a on a man for her livelihood. Now something about the plot did because it's it's very surprising where she pops up again in the finale like when you know the opening the opening scene of the final episode she pops up and she is in some province in Papanga so we are made to believe that officer Rodrigo killed her in an earlier episode so i don't understand how what, did he intend to kill her did he did he have a change of heart because When you think about it, you see him taking her to this abandoned place in the dark. Um, He beat her up pretty brutally before that. He put her in the trunk of the car. He gets her out. He points a gun at her. And then you hear a gunshot go off. So it's implied that he shot her. But when you think about it, you're like, you know what? They never actually showed her getting shot. So that was really confusing to me is how why is she alive?
3: Yeah, To me, that's like a big mystery of the show. Okay. Because he obviously is very good at and has no problem killing.
0: Right. Like at multiple yeah. points yeah.
3: through the show he kills other people or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. it is, you know, and I thought maybe he thought he killed her and he somehow she survived. But as you're talking it makes me think about right after he does that, he intentionally doesn't go back to his, you know, to like the whatever headquarters. Yeah. He um, <laughs> goes and spends time with his family and he wants to have that meal and calls his son boss yeah. and is telling his wife his real wife, that he, that they're gonna go on their own secret mission. You know, like it's really like an um, it's it's like really like a break for him from his work. He really takes the time and really spends time with his family. He does, and he it does makes love me wonder, family. yeah,
0: is it because she said to him, "Please, I have a child." Right mm. before when he was pointing his gun at her. That's
3: is that is yeah. A good I, mean, take. I don't know. This is like I completely think, unformed have... thoughts. Like you're just like spurning them in my mind right now. So <laughs> right, I really yeah, think yeah. That possibly it could be.
4: That's a really good take. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, for me, for the most part, it's it's kind of confusing, you know. And then, but yeah, to the the, you know being able to relate to having having a a child, that's I I I'm assuming that has to be what put him over the edge, especially because you know, um, uh, when you watch Rodrigo with Carlo, his his son, I mean, like, you know, he he puts him him in the much. Yeah, yeah, you can totally tell, and like, um. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, he lets him make the decisions, and yeah, uh-huh. you can tell he's really in love, uh, he really loves his son, and so, I mean, that's a great take, I, yeah, I, I was trying to figure out, really I think that. really small,
3: too, I'm sorry, Alderbeer. Oh, go ahead. No, there is, a, like, a really small detail, it might be nothing, but after they show him shooting her, and she's on the ground, the camera does zoom in on her handcuffs, and I literally was thinking, like, you're just gonna leave your handcuffs? prints all over it and you're just leaving it in the province. Oh, but okay. later in a later episode, when the handcuffs are still on, they make a big deal about we need to get these handcuffs back.
0: So oh oh you mean when they killed Takeo? They cut off his yeah. hands to get because the was, they off. really
3: needed the handcuffs. I'm right. assuming because like maybe they they're stole. expensive or something, I don't yeah. know. Yeah,
0: and they, they make a big yeah, the camera uh, the camera stays on that shot of them Removing the handcuffs and then like washing them.
3: But before that, when he shoots Christina and she's lying there, the camera at the very end, before it shows him driving away, it does zoom in on her hands that are still in handcuffs.
0: That's interesting. Okay. I did not notice that even all the times I watched that.
3: So it could have been intentional. That's what I'm saying. Like it could have been intentional.
0: Okay. Now I have to go back and watch that episode to look for that scene. Let's talk about Joseph. He's the main character. He is a, he's a very young boy. He's a teenager who is at the absolute lowest rung of the drug industry hierarchy. Similar to Christina, they are just, they're so low on the, on the hierarchy, yet they are the only ones who come out all right by the end of the series. Like we see Joseph in the, in the season finale, he's hiding out in Papanga, with probably like his Lola and he's killing, a, uh, he, he captures a snake and he holds it up to show his uncle. What is that symbolic of that, that snake?
3: Well, I think it's like, I mean, it's like a super strong image because he catches it. He literally, you know, has that vi- victory pose yeah. and holds it in the air.
0: Yeah. He holds it um, up. He, he grabs a snake and he holds it up. And that is the last that we see of Joseph yeah. in the entire series. Yet he's the main character. So
3: And he's happy, and he's showing his uncle, and his uncle has sort of this like reluctant
0: Right. He just, just kind of an ambiguous
3: him. expression.
0: He stares at him without saying anything. So I, I really I think about that scene a lot and I don't know how to I don't understand it, um because he he's he's such a main part of the show. He's the main character. And that is the last time that we see him.
3: You know, there could be something in a lot of the Filipino superstitions with mm-hmm. different things, snakes do have some symbolism. I wish I really had more to like draw on because I wish I knew more. Yeah. But I wonder if it really is. I mean, kind of a, a Christian or biblical level, it certainly could represent the evil serpent. or things yeah. like that. Um I mean, but I wonder yeah. if there is something more to that.
4: I bet there's like a lot of angles to, to take on it. I mean there's there is there is the like the the Bible interpretation, you know, which could apply here. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I remember I was, uh, DMing with Eliza and I think I brought up a, a website, I think the Oswan project, which, uh, I think it builds yes, into, uh-huh. um, I like, like that pre-colonial, website. yeah, pre-colonial, um, pre-colonial, uh, uh, folklore, uh, of, of the, uh, uh-huh. of the Philippines. And I know I was, I was kind of, re- try, I just was trying to see if there's anything regarding serpents, but obviously, uh, I think, or, uh, I think there was this one article I think I read. And um, it, it kind of talked about how like the serpent is like kind of like a counterpart to uh, the eagle uh, or like an eagle, which are two big um, uh, symbols in, in the folklore. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't really like I didn't really read into it deeply, but I I kind of was hoping maybe there's like some sort of pre-colonial uh, pre-colonial. I do know one and it's an it.
3: old belief. Is it? it is that if someone dreams about a snake. That they will come into like some sort of luck or fortune or come into money.
0: Okay, oh, and I
3: wonder. I mean, I mean, this is like I a mean, big I'm stretch gonna, for me.
0: Jo- I mean, Joseph definitely lucked out. I mean, yeah, everybody 100%. around him died or had some serious moves of fortune. Like Bino's dead. His sister does not have um, anyone to support her or her her baby anymore. His father was disabled. His mother was having a hard time getting ends to meet. His, his gang shunned him. His gang leader is dead. Uh, his uncle ends up in prison. So I'm wondering if, if that is trying to... I wonder if Mendoza, the director of Mendoza, is trying to lead us into... Um, is, it, is it a victory for Joseph that he came out alive despite everything working against him? Or are, is he trying to get a season two?
3: That's a good question. I don't know.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about that sex pat scene. I know that Joe got into it a little bit earlier where they go into that nightclub and Christina is entertaining a client who is an Australian client who starts to verbally abuse her and Camilo and Rodrigo almost get into a fight with him, threaten to arrest him or beat him up. So I think it's very interesting that because these types of men are common in the Philippines, does this a, does this imply what Filipinos really think of that industry and those kinds of tourists?
3: I, I think possibly. I do think, and I'm going to veer off just for a bit. There is a there is a strong like national or Filipino cultural identity, mm-hmm. and it was reflected also when they were talking to Takeo and that um, whatever his name was, like you son of a bitch, yeah, you're Japanese. Your people killed my grandparents. I remember. And I that. heard that I so that many times. I remember like. This is, like, Liza would know this. This is completely, like, a, you know, an aside. But, like, I remember Burton and Surge constantly talking about
0: yeah. Yeah, how they, they just, like, they, don't like, you know. Yeah, they, they really did they dislike Japanese Did not people. like the
3: Japanese. But I think, you know, when you have all these other people that come to the Philippines, especially if there's a sentiment that, like, oh, they're coming in and using our women. Yeah. And we may understand it. And we may not give Christina a hard time for doing this. Right. But you know what? This motherfucker. Right. Do you we want me to arrest give, you? Do you want me to We give
0: Christina a pass. We give the women a pass. But we do not give the men a pass. We still look at them with disdain. I thought that was interesting, that little scene right there. And it's, it's the only time that you see a white person in the entire series.
3: Oh, and but here's my question. Was one of those strippers white?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot
3: about that. I found that, like, so interesting. Well, I'll tell you this. I guess there's two white people Um, in the series. I forgot about the one stripper on stage. Yeah. I remember... This is, like, very self-revealing. The first time I went to a strip club in the Philippines, (laughs) I found it very weird, like... uh, I don't know how to describe it. It was just a weird experience. But when they showed it in Amo, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. (laughs) Like, the kind of dancing that... I don't know how to... I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not like a strip strip club connoisseur, but it was very <laughs> realistic. And certainly those kind of like side interactions or those power uh-huh. dynamics or the foreigners being there. Because I've seen big groups of Australians in Pal- in uh, Palawan or, um, you know, like, you know, you'll have all these other foreigners that go to Barakai and stuff. And a lot of it is for these like, um, you know, sex exchanges or sex tours uh-huh. or, you know, to have like a whatever, a fling or something. So I I did I do think it's interesting, but I also think that it's uh, a very good, and possibly still accurate reflection of things that still happen in the Philippines. Yeah,
0: yeah,
4: yeah. and it's not like they didn't shy away from it in, in the ser- elsewhere in the series. I mean, um, yeah,
0: they definitely did. You know,
4: like you know, they had uh, Joseph going to a massage parlor um
0: right uh, there's
4: yeah and then there's also you know uh episode six that
0: hotel that bino and christina checked yeah into, that too that like, you know how that many too, hours That love do hotel. yeah
4: yeah yeah and then oh the, uh, yeah and then yeah it, uh and then again I, I like to bring up episode six just because uh that was kind of for me like the the hook episode for me that's when i was like all right i'm in a, i'm in this series for the long run right um not what just because that, uh, that was the one where they uh the the first club scene basically like that's where, oh okay, um, yeah, yeah, uh, and so like it, 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 part of me, you know, me, I connected it to it obviously because of, you know the, the whole scene about the whole party scene, which uh, I may have you know dabbled in, um, <laughs> uh-huh. um, but uh, it, you know, uh, there was just a lot of things that, um, that that episode kind of did right to just kind of hook me in.
0: I feel like it's a it's a rite of passage. Is that when we all go to the Philippines? Every single one of us hits up the clubs in Makati.
3: Well, and I did get the <laughs> sense that one of the like one of the two main guys was a Philam.
0: That's what I thought too, but when I talked to somebody else, he said that he also watched the show and he said that he sounds like a Philam because he's got an American accent, but most likely he's not because there's all these like there's all these international schools that um Filipinos will send their children to and they will, they will learn English with an American accent. They won't, you know, if you, if you have enough money, your family can afford to send you to an expensive international school where you will be educated. Um, and your English will be perfect American English with no Filipino accent.
3: That's interesting.
0: So I thought the same thing. I thought that he was Phil also until someone else told me otherwise.
4: Was oh, this one talking about the the one club owner that spoke English all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, he had like that California bro
3: accent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It sort of like annoyed me, but um, that's fine.
0: <laughs> um, let's talk about hip hop in the show. Like the music was an integral part of the show. You know, you see, you see the rapper, you see the rap group in every single episode. Um, you see the the the. the Cast members, the characters will acknowledge the rappers in some of the scenes. Like they'll shake hands with them, they will make eye contact with them. You know, they'll give them a dab. Uh, Hip hop is also a huge part of
3: Filipino culture. Well, I the one thing that I I thought was interesting is it's the same guy and his friends that's in every episode, and in a kind of weird way, it was almost like a literary throwback, where Mm -hmm. you'd have almost like a narrator. Not quite amused, yeah. but like you'd have sort of like a narrator that keeps telling the story, like even in yeah. like the Shakespearean stories. Yeah,
0: the song, the song lyrics match every single episode. Yeah. yeah,
3: and he was sort of narrating it as he was also there. He was almost like um, I don't know how to describe it, but I thought that was kind of nicely poetic in a way. But I, also I understand really liked what you it.
0: say. Yeah, I understand.
3: But his lyrics were much more evolved than like uh, Francis M. Or these, uh-huh. you know, old school Filipino rappers that came up in the '80s, mm-hmm. and I think it's a nice reflection of how maybe Filipino culture is starting to accept um, rap as like a, a, a modern narrative. I mean, mm-hmm. in the '90s, Mob Deep said that um, rap is CNN for black people, yeah, yeah, kind of inferring <laughs> that there's a lot of people that may get uh, information about current events or their culture or their people, uh-huh. their community through hip hop.
0: I can see how that applies to this show. And, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think maybe like the Philippine culture is coming into its to its own in a, in some ways uh alongside hip hop in that way.
0: Uh Aldabar, you looked up the rapper? <laughs> yeah. Uh I
4: I think yeah, I had to do some uh some uh, internet sleuthery. Uh, <laughs> um I think uh I uh, well, uh, I think on uh, I am the on IMDb for Amo uh it listed the uh uh the rapper's name as uh rusty or rusty m and i think uh, after looking that up on like youtube there's like a couple videos and i think he's part of like a rap group and like i i you know i looked at some of them you can you can tell that like the facial structure his hair isn't dyed but you know uh it's uh yeah he uh it's it's kind of interesting to uh kind of see that the hip hop presence in the philippines uh just because my traditional like my my exposure to Filipino music or, you know, uh, contemporary Filipino music is a little bit more like kind of rock based, um, mostly like I think proke uh, Any Edgar um, uh, uh, or like maybe a little bit more R&B, uh, like Sana Muling or something like that. I, I don't remember the singer's name, but, um, you know, uh, I, I will fully concede that that might be because uh, the only time I usually hear those songs is usually during karaoke. Um but uh uh it, um it whenever when I started uh Joey brings up a good point about how it's almost like he's setting the stage for the next part of the episode. it is actually kind of cool because like we we you know the with, the with the the flow of 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 each episode is so meaty and it's heavy it's like your time where you can actually kind of get a breather right and I think I we I mentioned this with you Eliza before how uh you know like being able to listen to uh, listen to it, and uh, there's that one art, uh, interview uh, with uh, Ruby Ibarra, and she mentions how like rapping in Tagalog is is almost like uh, there's a very percussive into uh, percussive element to it, and um, that was like the kind of like the first thing I thought of when I started you know uh, hearing um,
0: I, I, the rapper. I will agree with that.
4: Yeah, yeah, it you know like you hear the drum beat, and it's almost like because you know like McKay sounds like definitely have like that that cymbal crash to it. And, like, you know, you have the, uh, was it the, uh, uh, I can't pronounce it, the cultural stop, like, how, uh, certain words just kind of stop, and he kind of really, uh, caps off, you know, uh, b- the, the, you know, the, the bars, basically. And it, it's, I have noticed it's,
0: that,
4: yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, like, all in all, it, it really brings an interesting element that, that, like, you, it's kind of like you, it's definitely a new feeling, but you can kind of tell that it kind of... Belongs in a sense, you know? Mm
3: -hmm. Well, it's interesting, Aldovar, that you say that because um, I think historically, and I'm not from the Philippines, and I'm certainly not the authority on Filipino culture. But a lot of Filipino entertainment, whether it's movies or TV shows, variety shows or even music, is very escapist. So how can we uh, watch something or listen to some song that's just going to make us feel like romantic or make us feel good or make us laugh? And I think one of the ways that Amo is a little bit maybe on the edge or avant-garde possibly is that this is not escapist. And Mm -hmm. the soundtrack, this rapping is not escapist either. Like when you listen to old Francis M and all these other rappers, it's very happy and poppy and kind of syrupy. And it's interesting because Francis M is one of Ruby Bar's like main influences as far as like a Filipino rapper. Um, And her, the way that she raps is a, a huge difference from the way that he rapped. In the same way that, like, Amo is different from these Wow Wow We or variety shows that yeah. is so <laughs> common and so prevalent, and the same way that this rapper is so different than uh, what's commonly heard in, like, a karaoke bar when you oh. go out and, right, you know, right. whatever, listen to OPM in the Philippines.
0: Aldabar, something that you said earlier, you talked about how there is, like, a, there's like a musical aspect of Filipino language, and I kind I can see that, like filipino accents are they're kind of sing-song and right. there is a cadence when you hear people speaking in tagalog or Ilocano. you know
4: yeah uh, it's it's kind of it. funny yeah it's funny because like like uh i'm actually uh uh learning through like some some learning tape right now um and it's funny because like you know you, you know when you do the pronunciation it's like i i, I see it in my own speech as well right um, you know, like, even if it's just a basic, basic kind of phrase or whatever, it's just like, there's the, there's like a little, uh, variation in, in how the, how I, I, uh, form the phrase, like form the tones. Okay. Well, um, I do have one last, uh, thing that I, I, I kind of want to bring up and I think it's, it kind of delves into what, uh, Joya was kind of saying, how Amo is a lot different from traditional, filipino programming as in like the the whole like variety show hour and you know your tfc fair romantic comedies Um, yeah 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 well like it's almost similar to that like i I wonder if maybe like is this what could be our our niche right because you know how like with with other asians i mean they have people who love you know your k-dramas right yeah yeah or even like or even like uh um you know telenovelas or um you know Certain there's certain yeah. like Asian dramas and have that have their niche. Do you think that th- this yeah. is possibly, uh, the first that could be like, could this be like the future of Philippine drama? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I don't think was... so.
3: And I but I was I at was asking my brother and my sister in law about it, and um, they they were saying is in some ways it very much is like the equivalent to something like The Wire,
0: mm-hmm.
3: where The Wire is very good, but, but Baltimore all, people yeah.
0: hate it. In a way. Yeah, sure.
3: But would (laughs) all programming turn into wire? I don't don't think so. It wouldn't turn into all the wire, the Sopranos, or the Breaking Bad, no matter how much people like that. Yeah. But I think there is a niche for it. I think that the fact that it's so kind of countercultural as far as entertainment is possibly why it had so many people who are critical of it from the Philippines, Yeah. but simultaneously makes it accessible to us as Filipino Americans.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Well maybe what they will do is if we don't get another like a different series, maybe we'll get like a season two of this series because at the end of the season finale, they left it wide open for a second season. you know that very last scene right. pretty much just leaves you hanging. Yeah. So if Amo is able to if Amo is able to amass an audience in the same way that Narcos has a second season streaming rights order for the series, seems pretty likely, uh, provided that the original network um, in the Philippines, TV5, is interested in doing another run. And probably it could premiere as soon as like a year from now, which is like the typical Netflix timeline. But um, I mean, we'll probably just have to wait and find out. You know, it's, it's, Amo is still pretty new to Netflix. It only dropped about three weeks ago. And so, I I mean, I've been encouraging everyone that I know to watch it, because I would love to get a season two of this series, or I would love to get another Filipino series onto
3: Netflix. I think that it could. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Filipinos love external validation. So, they love when (laughs) Manny Pacquiao was endorsed by Nike. Yes. They love when Charisse was endorsed by Oprah.
0: Uh-huh. Uh They
3: uh-huh. they like all that. And so for this to be recognized by Netflix and this to be shown, I have a feeling that they'll be like, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't know any Tagalog, so I can't give some weird impersonation, <laughs> but like, I think they're going to be like, look, you know, this is something that we have This the, uh, speaks to the quality of our, whatever, our entertainment and it's in Netflix and yeah. around the world.
0: Yeah. I can see that happening too. Yeah.
4: Um, I think my take is, um, well, one, I mean, like, I, I definitely would want to see a season two, uh, just because, um, the way it ends, it really opens up like a whole, um, unexplored aspect. I mean, like, I, I, I honestly hope that season two would probably start going into, uh, the whole prison gang culture in the Philippines. Yeah. I think that might, I would, uh, I mean, I but would, the last time you heard, <laughs> I, I just remembered, I just flashed back and remembered. The whole uh, remember when the Cebu uh, prisoners became viral and they had the dance what, number when
0: they were doing those yeah. dances. So, yeah. yeah, like they were doing the
4: thriller. And, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, it probably won't be in there, but uh, I, I. But like, it, it just something. It seems like a whole other aspect of culture that you could totally explore in a season two. Yeah,
0: I would love to see that. I actually subscribe to the TV5 channel on 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 uh, YouTube, just oh, because nice. if it doesn't make it to Netflix, I still want to find a way to watch um,
4: their shows. Oh, cool! I didn't know they had a channel. Interesting.
0: They have a channel on YouTube. I don't know if it if it um, I don't know if it's like a, if those shows are just their web series or if they're the actual uh-huh. shows that are on their TV five, like on, on oh. actual broadcast television.
4: Oh, but or I mean, if it's just like I've been, promo. Materials. I've been catching
0: up on some Filipino shows on there,
4: just oh, because cool.
0: I'm I'm so. Uh, right now, after Amo, I'm like I want more Filipino content.
4: Oh, nice yeah yeah i know and then uh i know uh, like i've been trying to tell i i know a couple of my filipino friends have already watched it um it's kind of funny because whenever it comes to like foreign shows i'm trying to think of an angle right like when i was talking to my friends about terrace house it's like yeah it's kind of like real world but it's in japan and you know it's it's you know you try to think of your pitch right
0: really slow
4: (laughs) yeah and so, like, for me, like, it's, it's kind of, I'm still trying to think of a pitch, because obviously, it's kind of easy to sell, uh, you know, other Phil Labs on the show, too. It's about Filipinos. It's awesome. Or it's, yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. Uh, uh, but obviously, if you're trying to sell it to, like, say, you know, my, my Asian friends, it's like, well, you know, it's, uh, it's some pretty heavy stuff, you know, it goes into, like, the drug war about Philippines. Um, I
0: think that they're gonna get a- really confused, to be honest.
4: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, again, there's, I mean, we've been talking about it, right? And that's what this
0: podcast is for.
4: Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully in one year, maybe we'll all get back together and we can talk about season two. Yeah, we 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 can watch it together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we could all like FaceTime and watch every, just binge the whole thing together. Oh, dude, right? (laughs) Oh, man. All right, so um, that pretty much just wraps it up. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Escape from Plan A podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. And also, don't forget to check us out online at com for our latest articles and Fuck Yeah Fridays. All right, guys. Thanks for having us,
4: Liza. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. I had a really good time.
1: That is why I have adapted as an article of faith the following lines written by someone whose name I could no longer recall. Said, I have no friends to serve. I have no enemies to harm. In sending, therefore, I now ask everyone, and I mean everyone, So join me as we embark on this crusade for a better and brighter tomorrow.